2: Okay, it's March 26, it's 10 minutes to 5 p.m., and I thought that I would just walk around and record a little bit of the rain sounds, because it's raining right now, and the siren went off.
0: Last February, when Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, the team here at Vice News Reports started talking to a woman in Kyiv named Katya. She started sending us these little audio diaries on WhatsApp of what everyday life was like during this time. Going down the stairs uh,
2: to walk the dog. Uh, reluctant to use the elevator today because uh, there are explosions in my area. Oh, here,
0: there was another one. Um, I really need to have my dog pee. Katya is in her early 30s and works in higher education. She asked that we don't share her last name or the details about her job or where in Kyiv she lives for her own safety. Life has changed in so many ways for Ukrainians, both big and small. Katya remembers how the lobby of her building used to smell like weed. These teenagers in the building used to smoke there. But at the start of the full-scale invasion last February, no weed smell. Oh, the weed smokers are back. The day I could smell weed again. I was like, yes, they're back. The kids are back.: We last had Katya on our show back in March, and she's been continuing to send us audio diaries.: So it's almost
2: six pm March twenty seventh: Hey, so it's uh, April 15th. It's eleven seventeen in the morning. It is April. What day is it today? It is May 14th, it's
0: 12.09. This week on the show, we get an update from Katya on what life in Kyiv has been like over the last six months. She has mourned the loss of a parent and even started dating again.
2: First night we spent together, I woke up because sirens went off, but I didn't wake up because of that. I woke up because he woke up and I saw him just scrolling through the news
0: We'll also hear an update on this new phase of Russia's war with Ukraine from Vice News correspondent Ben C. Solomon. I'm your host, Ariel Zumros. This is Vice News Reports. Where we left Katya last March, her parents were living with her in her apartment.
2: Regarding my mom's vegetation, we have um, some tomatoes. Some of them are months
0: old. As the war was raging on, she was helping take care of her father, who was battling cancer.
2: It's April 18th. As you can hear, I am walking the dog. it's half past 7 p.m., and I don't know if you can hear all this sound. There are dogs barking. There are people yelling, playing football. And it. in this particular moment, it feels like um, the life is completely back on track. Except that my dad died this morning. You know, my dad, um, he was a so-called war child Uh, he was born in 1934 he was only like six or seven years old when the war started in the then soviet union and my dad and his sister and his mom had to flee uh, from advancement of the nazi and uh, after they came back You know, he had a difficult childhood um, because everything was in ruins. And still he managed to study and succeed in life in many ways. And now he died in, in the midst of another war.
0: I'm sorry. After her father died. Katya's mother returned home to a village outside of Kyiv, and Katya's audio diaries got less frequent. But she continued texting with one of the producers of our show, Sam Greenspan. Katya told them that local businesses were opening back up again, and power lines that had been run down by military tanks were being fixed. If sirens went off, people now knew to take shelter at their nearest subway station. Recently... Katya also mentioned that she was dating someone, an American guy named Gabe. And Katya is going to take it from here.
2: Back in December, I met a person on Tinder that I really liked. And we talked on the phone for like a month or something. And then war started. And he obviously, as a U.S. citizen, left uh, Ukraine, which was the right thing to do. In my opinion, we didn't talk frequently at least. We, we did, you know, message each other uh, here and there uh, for several months, but we didn't really talk. And then in May, he started messaging me again. And I was like, and you should un- understand that at that time, I thought this was a person who rejected me, you know, because I saw it on our date. Uh, back in January, that he didn't like me, and that was the reason why it didn't work out afterwards. And so I was like, okay, now, you know, sort of, uh, and answering his uh, messages being super cold and unimpressed. But uh, <laughs> he, he warned me. He warned me up. He was taking very active interest in my life. Also, I was, I was uh, telling him stuff that I honestly would not tell a date after just one date, you know, about my feelings, uh, about my dad's death and about other stuff that was going on in my life. He wanted to come here first, but then he had some visa problems. And so he invited me to come to Poland uh, to meet again. I, I, I don't know, we talked, we sort of talked about it Monday evening and then Saturday that same week I was already on the train there. So all the airports are closed down, obviously. You can't fly uh, a civil jet in the war zone where you can easily get taken down uh, by a long-range uh, rocket. There is a direct train from Kiev to Przemysl, which is a town in Poland. Very close, very close to Ukrainian border. It operated even before uh, the war started. The tickets are pretty cheap. And there are several uh, rides every day. I guess I was just ex- you know, excited to... Apart from me being in war zone, I was taking care of my dad for uh, the last year. I didn't date anyone for... I don't know, forever. And so I was just, uh, I don't know, excited to have something for myself, if that makes sense. My train was a bit late, so I missed my Connect train in Poland. And so I got there later, and he was waiting for me for several hours uh, after taking a very early train there in Krakow. And so we met. It was honestly pretty natural. I don't know. I didn't feel... He made me feel very comfortable with him uh, from the very first um, I don't know hour and so yeah we called it our second date that lasted a week I didn't take a week of work so I was working decently remotely Um, we were just like spending evenings together (laughs) yeah now he's coming here for another week that will be our Third date, that will last a week (laughs) as well. He said he will drive uh, right up to my house tomorrow, which is crazy in my opinion. But just because some friend of his wanted to drive and they are afraid to drive alone. And I, I feel bad for him doing that. But other than that, I'm just really excited to see him. He will see me in my uh, natural habitats, in my home, where I cook breakfast and fart and, you know, <laughs> do all the good stuff.
0: Coming up, we check in with our correspondent, Ben Solomon, who was just in Ukraine. And Katya reports back on her relationship with Gabe after their third date in Kiev. That's after the break. Hey, we're back. While Katya and Gabe enjoy their date, we're turning our attention to how the war in Ukraine has developed on the ground these past six months and what the stakes are right now. As of this recording, more than 5,000 civilians have died and more than 10 million Ukrainians have been displaced from their homes. Tens of thousands of Russian and Ukrainian soldiers have also lost their lives.
1: Yeah, my name is Ben C. Solomon. Uh, I'm an international correspondent with Vice News, um, and I've been reporting on Ukraine and the war there uh, this year and prior to it since 2014.
0: So, Ben, as you've just mentioned, you've been to Ukraine many times since the beginning of the war, and you actually just came back from a recent reporting trip there. What did you see while you were there very recently?
1: So what we're seeing in the war now is, is really kind of a changing uh, strategy, both for the Russian forces who have kind of narrowed their focus to just a few fronts, uh, the northern, eastern and southern fronts of the country, and also the Ukrainian forces and how they are fighting back with new advanced uh, Western and American weapons and how those are stifling the Russian advance. This is uh, not a new war at all. For the past eight years, the Russians have been pushing in places like Donbass. Uh, they annexed Crimea in 2014, taking over huge parts of the country that they considered theirs, that the Ukrainians still fight against today. This uh, a soldier that we interviewed put it really well. The Russians are fighting for their past and the Ukrainians are fighting for their future.
0: After having watched your reporting, you know one of the, the moments that really stands out to me is a conversation that you had in a bunker underground where Ukrainian soldiers were were holding out. Can you tell me about that moment?
1: We visited a bunker oh, a on the outskirts of a city called Izum, uh, which is a, a Russian-occupied city now, uh, but a place that is a really central part of the, their fight uh, because they're trying to sweep in the Donbass. And this is one of the northern regions where they can kind of control the supply lines into it. We went along into this bunker. A Russian shell had hit the structure that we were running into. When we got into the bunker, we snuck down to this this tiny little uh, area where all these soldiers had been packed in. We went uh, with this young Canadian-Ukrainian soldier named Den- Denis Polishchuk. Um, he was a part of a group of foreign soldiers and volunteers that joined the war, and he had been there for m- years before. Why do you do this? I'm originally from Ukraine. I dropped out of university to go fight in 2015, and now this this unit is, is close and dear to my heart. What is it like for the soldiers living here under all the shelling and attacks in this basement? It does take a toll on you after a while. You can definitely see it in the eyes of the soldiers who spent more than a couple of weeks here. Now he's there, he's fighting, and he, you know, he will not stop until the war is done.
0: And... Outside of the military forces, I I understand that while some folks have decided to stay in the cities that are currently under attack, millions of Ukrainian citizens have left their homes, either left the country altogether or moved to another city further away from active fighting zones. And something that you show in your reporting is that a lot of the homes in these fighting zones are actually currently dangerous to be in.
1: So, during our trip, uh, we tagged along with the Ukrainian Explosive Clearance Team around the outskirts of Kharkiv region and, and the Kharkiv Oblast. Uh, and we fought a guy named Maxim, and he's been working with this team for years before the war. And he told me a little bit about the challenges the team was facing. We walked with him through these fields where people had called in and asked the team to come and check out some of the the unexploded ordnance that were lying around, and it was just you know almost like janitorial work. They were called all day, moving around the city and just had to clean up all of these weapons and unexploded ordnance that had just been rained all over this area. Even as we could still hear them coming in and out.
0: Right. I mean as we know from previous wars, this is the kind of work that takes decades, right? This is it's it's going to be they're going to be doing this for the next 100 years.
1: Yeah, I mean up until February. These removal teams were still removing World War II ordnance. on Maxim's phone. He showed us like clips and videos of old mines and old like, unexploded ordnance all around the countryside in that area that they had picked up just weeks before the war even started. So it was constant work, not just before the war, but now and to come.
0: Ben, you also met a woman on your trip to Ukraine that experienced a direct explosion in her house Um, I believe her name was Nadia is there anything that that you saw or that she said made you think about these attacks differently
1: I think for for me uh, Nadia was just really uh, somebody that really was indicative of how this war is affecting the people and for me, as, as a person, was one of the most inspiring and, and amazing people that I had met reporting during this war. Um, you know, she is a 80-year-old woman. And in this really busy and built-up old Soviet-style housing complex in, in Kharkiv in this neighborhood called Saltivka, which saw the worst parts of the bombing, she stayed behind to basically support... Everybody else's apartments and take care of their pets and feed the local pigeons outside of her house that still needed bread and and the cats that still needed food and she stayed behind because she just thought that somebody should and somebody should help support so out of this this huge complex of maybe you know hundreds of of families it was about seven people left behind including her that were kind of just taking care of it And, and what she made me really realize in spending time with her and and getting to know her and getting to know her struggle is that you know for the for the people of Ukraine that are caught in the middle of this fight you know there's not a lot of easy answers about where to go this is their home It's kind of the most amazing thing about Ukrainians at this time, is that life has to go on. For the older people, that means staying behind, taking care of their homes, even when they're being bombed. For the younger people, it means, you know, keeping the lives alive. There's still, in central Kyiv, there's still nightclubs that are back to being active. We spent time at a camping store that was busy with people buying gears to get away. Ukrainians are, are trying to live their lives. And part of that is not just resisting the fight, but also living a good life.
0: Right. It's the embodiment of that quote that, that joy is an act of resistance. Ben, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: In Kiev, Katya's third date happened this summer when Gabe, the person Katya is dating, went to Kiev to visit her they spent his birthday together. Katya told our producer, Sam Greenspan, about how she planned a trip to see an artsy Ukrainian film. And then she booked them something a little more cathartic. So um, we went to
2: (laughs) break some dishes. What? (laughs) Yes, there is this thing uh, uh, that's been around for several years now, and I've never done it before, so it was new for me as well. Where you can pay people <laughs> to uh, go to their basement, basically, and uh, break some glass. And they also have music in there. And they give you glasses so you can go, like, protective glasses so you can go insane. <laughs> so we broke a bunch of uh, glass stuff. And you also get markers, of, like Sharpies. So... You can write something on your plates and your bottles and everything. So I feel like about seventy percent of what we broke had something written on it that had to do something with the war. Uh, we hate war. Russians go home. Things like that. And it was actually really fun and uh, relieving in a way.
1: Do you know? Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a Jewish wedding, but there's a there's a tradition in Jewish wedding when people get married they uh, they break a glass <laughs> no i was just thinking about that i was like that seems like a, that seems like it's getting very serious very quickly if you're like breaking a glass on this on the third date
2: <laughs> yeah i mean being in a distant relationship and also you know dating during the war basically kind of forces you to a- accelerate things i guess uh, also, our dates are pretty long, so <laughs> I feel like one of our dates counts for like at least three or four of regular dates. We went to see my mom. My mom doesn't speak any English, so uh, in order for them to get along or being able to communicate in any way, I had to translate everything. And so um, the only way they can speak is through me, uh, which in a way is... Is good because I can sort of polish out the cultural differences when I translate. Makes it easier to avoid any kind of misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it went it went fine, I think. Um, there was one. There's one thing that I find funny. So we went to walk uh, my dog Yoki, and we met one of my mom's neighbors on the way and later on he told my mom that he have never has never seen me this happy so <laughs> i i have thought about it the the thing that i like a lot is that i don't feel some sort of you know euphoria happiness that's so intense that it hurts you know but i just feel c- consistently a little bit happy with him every day, which I think long term is a much just much more um, ni- much nicer thing to have in life. We were walking around Kiev and we were doing all kinds of stuff, and uh, he was taking me to a lot of places that he spent a lot of time or really liked when he lived in Kiev. And at some point, I also realized that he's basically just saying goodbye to all the places that he likes here. Uh, Because, um, I don't know, maybe he doesn't know if he's going to come back. Or maybe he doesn't know if these places are going to be the same when he comes back next time. And I think we just have like different journeys emotionally. Because I live here all the time. And even though we've talked about, you know, moving in together somewhere else outside of Ukraine, this this still feels to me like my home, I guess. I don't know. At least uh, home is a very abstract concept, but uh, this is my... Country, right? This is where I come from. This is my whole background. This is where all my family has always lived. So, my attachment and all the things that tie me to this country are very strong.
0: Mm-hmm. Only from rust This episode was produced by Adriana Tapia and Sam Greenspan. It was edited by Julia Nutter and Ani Aviles. Vice News Reports is produced by Sophie Casis, Jen Kinney, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Jesse Alejandro Cuttrell, Julia Nutter, and Sam Greenspan. Our supervising producer is Ashley Kleek. Our associate producers are Steph Brown, Sam Egan, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Evan Sutton, Pran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Mixing by Evan Sutton. Our executive producers are Adiza Egan and Stephanie Carey. For Vice Audio, Annie Aviles is our executive editor, and Janet Lee is our senior production manager. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. I'm Ariel Zemros. I know podcast hosts say this all the time, but I still mean it. Please take the time to rate and review the podcast on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help other people find the show. Vice News reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week.
2: He's an astronomer. He's a he's a solar physicist. So wow. Uh, We actually found very weirdly and accidentally a telescope at the Airbnb. Um, And so he showed me the moon and he showed me, well, the the, the things that were on that night. (laughs) You know, so he showed me Saturn um, through a telescope, which was really cute.